Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. Once again, and always, we are joined by our co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. Yeah, things have been good, thank you. I've been very, very busy with work, but um, I did manage to go out and see the new Hunger Games film. Have you seen it yet? Have you... Are you no. a Hunger Games fan? Are you? No, I've I've read the books. I thought the first mm. one was amazing. Second one was yeah. good. Third one was incredibly poor. I have watched the first two films, but haven't got around to watching the last two of the uh, you know the original Hunger Games. So yeah, the first yeah. book I thought was amazing, um, but sadly it tailed off. But I do hear uh, my lady friend went to watch the uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snake, and she said it was superb. Yeah, I mean, it for me, it wasn't as good as the original Hunger Games films because I love Jennifer Lawrence, and if she's uh-huh. not in it, then it's just not as good. Um, but it was a really, really good film. I did enjoy it. Um, it and it didn't feel like you know when sometimes people bring out films and they are they deviate so much from the first books, and then you're kind of comparing them. It did feel mm. kind of like a standalone film, which was quite nice. Um, so you could just enjoy it without having to think, oh, that doesn't really compare to the first lot. But it was good. And what made the night even better is that I found this most amazing new steakhouse um, and had the best steak I think possibly I've ever had in my life. Give a shout out, you, Tilly, to those on the yeah. South Coast who may want to check it out. Uh, you might get yeah. a free steak. <laughs> I might do this. Should, I should be getting advertising. free advertising. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Sam's Steakhouse in Dorchester in Dorset. Amazing. It was so, so good. Um, I will definitely be going back there. Um, but... Sam's Steakhouse, what a name. What steak did you go for and how did you have it done? Uh, I went for a sirloin because I don't like too much fat in my steak and I have it rare. I like rare. it quite bloody. Yeah. i like it i like it my friend um how have you been how because i know you've had quite a busy weekend oh i've had a festive weekend i uh i took my lady friend on a surprise festive weekend you know it's four weeks until christmas yeah we had a we had a festive weekend so went down to london and uh, we went to uh, took her to the, the making of Harry Potter, the Harry Potter Warner Brothers studio on Friday night. That was amazing. It was like a Hogwarts in the snow special. So uh, I'd never been before and I was blown away. We were in the Great Hall. We went through the sets and then you, you get to go on the Privet Drive and you get to go on the greenhouses and pull the mandrakes up. And it was, I was blown away by how good it was. It was really, really so professional and so superb. It was amazing. So we went there on Friday and it was all done up Christmassy. They had all the snow there and all the festive sets, which was really, really good. And on Saturday, I took her to Hyde Park Winter Wonderland, uh, which was unbelievably good as well. I, I'd never been before. And it was like, it was like the best, the the best Christmas kind of market you'd ever been to, mixed with a kind of fun fair. It was superb. So yeah. We, we walked around and we had sausages and chips and uh, plenty of mulled wine, non-alcoholic for me. We went on a, a few rides, uh, 
We had a we had a great time. Went and it's like there's a winter bit that was all icy, and we saw uh, ice sculptures, and it was really really good. And we stayed there for about five hours until it got dark, and all the lights came on. That was really good. And on the Sunday, I took her to a a, a festive carol slash classical orchestra concert. It was the London Palladium. It was done by Scala Radio. Um, I'm a bit of a fuddy-duddy tilly, so I love Scala Radio. It's like a cool dude's... Uh, I don't describe Scala Radio. It's like, a, it's like a cool guy's classical radio, contemporary classical radio for like cool folk like me. Saying that, the average age of the audience was about 70. Um, <laughs> but that was really good. It was really good. It was, it was, you had the, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra was back in them. It was like oh, one wow. of the most famous orchestras in the world. And it was yeah. hosted by Alfie Bow. And as well as Alfie Bow, they had uh, Russell Watson. It was like really, really good it was it was pretty special um so yeah uh, it was wow. a it was a, a really sort of a lovely festive weekend and i surprised her as well you know the only thing she'd guess she's quite clever at guessing stuff she'd guessed that i was going to take her to hyde park winter wonderland i don't know how uh, all i'd given her was a date period um but yeah she hadn't she hadn't guessed harry potter and she hadn't guessed uh, the scala radio show so it was a a wonderful festive weekend. I went went to Oxford Street as well. I went to Hamleys for the first time. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, Hamleys is unbelievable. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah, everyone like, should go at least once in their life, even I've if you don't buy anything, kids. just to 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 look and yeah. just have that magical experience. It's almost like Diagon Alley in in Harry Potter, isn't it? It's it was got massive. Kind of I didn't. Yeah, it was huge. So I have to take my kids sometime because I thought it was amazing. I was like, my kids will think it's mind-blowing. So, yeah, I um, I had a wonderful festive weekend, and I, I have returned home, and I am 90% full of Christmas spirit. Oh, amazing. But the big question, when are you putting your Christmas decorations up? Well, probably this weekend, I think. Probably on the – the, yeah, so today's the 1st of December, so probably – Probably the second or third, probably the Saturday. I might do it Saturday. You know, me and the kids might go and get a tree and get some decorations Saturday. Um, so a bit early, but you, I tend actually, not really early, I tend to usually do it the first weekend of December. And this weekend, like literally, you know, the, the first weekend of December is the second and third. So I think I'll probably do it this uh, this Saturday or Sunday. Nice. I like it. Yeah, I might wait another weekend, I think. But I, I all my Christmas decorations are over at my parents' house, so I'm going to have to go round to theirs and go in the loft and get them out because they are they're in storage with them. So I'm buying a brand new set for myself, you see. So it's quite exciting, you know, me and the kids will go yeah. on there. Get, get a brand new set. And then um, obviously next weekend, I'm off, next week I'm off to Berlin. Um, so I'll have to just give a shout out in advance, listeners. There will not be a podcast next week um, because I will be uh, this time next week when we're recording the podcast. I will be in Berlin just to continue the festive spirit. I mean, I'm I'm full <laughs> to the brim of Christmas cheer, and you know we won't even be in the first week of first full week of December. So it's all good. It's very festive over these parts. Tell you it really is. It is. And what's even funnier is that I'm going to Berlin in a couple of weekends time. And neither of us knew, did we, when we mm, booked we'll it, that the other one was going. But yes, I'm going. So you can give me all the, the good places to go, all of the sites that I need to see. Mm, very good indeed. Very good indeed. Um, 
Well, listeners, um, we don't have any reviews this week. Do send in your reviews. Leave them over on iTunes or wherever else you listen, and we will read them out. Um, But having caught up on our cinema going and our festive weekends and discussed our early Christmas plans, should we crack on and get some social work talk underway, Tilly? How do you think we should do it? Just straight away? Should we just go for it? Yeah, yeah. Let's go and dive straight in. Let's go straight in. Right. Did you choose social work or did social work choose you is the topic of this week's podcast. Now, I've gone for this because it follows on from an article that I wrote last week. If you want to head over to mysocialworknews.com, you will be able to read my article. Uh, it was out on November the 23rd, so um, last week, and the title was I Didn't Choose Social Work, Social Work Chose Me. And essentially, I tell you, it was me musing on the social work profession that I've been involved with for 11 years now and considering, you know, Did I really choose social work or was I destined to be a social worker? Listeners, if you want to read that, just head over to mysocialworknews.com. So, Tilly, I'm going to fire this over to you to start off with, my friend. Um, I'll start with this one. When did you first discover that there was a thing called social work, that you knew that there was this job that people did, social workers did, and... When did you kind of join the dots and think that was right for you? Can you remember when you first learned about social workers? Well, I'm quite ashamed to say that um, I probably first heard about social work from Tracy Beaker. Um, nice, nice. That? That's <laughs> not shameful. That that's cool. Show? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a cool children's program back in the day for our further afield listeners. This is a, a, a story about a a young girl that's in a children's home that she calls the dumping ground. And she's just wanting to either be fostered or adopted. She just wants a mum. And there is a social worker in that program called Elaine the Pain. And she was just a wet lettuce, really. She was a terrible social worker um, in Tracy's eyes anyway. She didn't get, she wasn't very effective at her job. She didn't get any of the right outcomes for Tracy. Um, So that was probably my first experience of social work, which wasn't necessarily positive. But I suppose I started to know a little bit more about what social workers did, probably when I was around 15 or 16. Um, Just I think I I didn't really know how it it came about, Um, but I'd always been quite interested in psychology. And I thought when I first um, was starting to look at think towards university and what I wanted to do when I grew up it was either going to be be a vet um which I'm glad I didn't because I'm actually rather squeamish so I don't Mm. think that would have been a very good career um or a psychologist and particularly an educational psychologist but then when I suppose I started looking into it, I was kind of horrified by the thought that I'd have to do a psychology degree, then some on-the-job training, then go back, get a master's, then go back and get a doctorate. And it would be about 10 years before I actually qualified. And I was impatient and couldn't be bothered to wait that long. So I started to look at um, professions that were quite similar and social work popped up and I started to do a bit of research about it. And soon realized as as soon as I started reading that actually it would be for me and I was quite keen to do it and I suppose I I just went from there. Did you ever consider the practicalities of the job? What do you mean? Do you you mean well like we all have dreams you know we all Mm. have dreams in life Um, but 
when we're older, we can be better at kind of planning those dreams, almost like reverse engineering them, right? I want to be this and it will take this. When you were lighted upon being a social worker, do you think you knew the practicalities that that would take and how it would be? Or did you sort of go for it on? An, was it an idealistic whim or was it a practical one? I think it was quite practical um, because I had thought to myself, well, after I've done my university training with my three-year degree, I'll be qualified, I'll be a professional and I'll be able to start earning. And I was quite keen to do that. I was I was impatient. I just wanted to earn a living and be able so to... So you've always been practical myself. and pragmatic then. You've always had that. Because yeah. you are, you know, I'm sure I you am. me for saying that. That's, <laughs> you are, you, you, you know, you're, you're a strong independent woman. You know, you're very practical and pragmatic. You've got a can-do attitude. You know, you're you're not really reliant upon other people. You're very strong and you're forthright and, you know, other people are more reliant upon you. You know, you've got a great deal of admirable qualities. Have you always been that kind of strong-willed and independent? Because that's what it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. I've always thought to myself, I need to be able to support myself in my career, whatever career I choose. I need to make from sure. What age? That- from, from what age were you um- thinking that? I just, as long as I can remember, to be perfectly like honest. Child, I mean, early teens? I mean, early teens, I suppose. Because as a child, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, well, princess or um, actually, <laughs> actually, no, to be fair, I, I quite wanted to be an astronaut at one point. I always nice. really liked space. Um, so I was quite keen on that. What else did I want to do? Oh, work with horses. Because I mean, I was, I've been a horsey girl ever since I was, was pretty much as soon as I could walk, I was riding horses. So yeah. I considered that for a while. And then realised that there's absolutely no money in that, and going out in all weathers is not fun. Um, mm. I, a teacher, I considered as well, but I suppose that was probably because when you're a child, you look around you and think, well, teachers—that's that, kind of a job that's it's in the only your job face, you isn't see. It? <laughs> your job you see every single day. Yeah, yeah, and I never—I was never interested in being a doctor or a nurse. Um, yeah. that didn't really appeal to me. I don't like bodily fluids. So that was quite surprising that actually I thought I'd be a vet for a while, but I think it was more because I liked animals rather yeah. than the thought of cutting up Ugh. things. But no, 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 no. Couldn't do that. Don't know why I even thought I could. Um, but yeah, I, I think as soon as I got out of that childish pie in the sky kind of thing yeah. about what you want to do when you grow up, I was always thinking, right, I want to be able to support myself. Um, I want a decent career. I want to, people to look up to me. I want to be in a position of, of not necessarily authority, but just a respected figure. Um, yes. I'm quite quite a sensible person, I suppose. And and I always thought that whatever job I had, I would need to be a sort of a, a pillar of the community almost. And that sounds really cheesy and I'm cringing as I'm saying it, but I think that, that is the kind of person that I am. So yeah, I suppose it was inevitable, really, that I, I did become a social worker. I like it. I like it. Um, I didn't really know what a social worker was until I was in well into my 20s. Um, I really, really didn't. You know, I wasn't really an avid sort of follower of the news and reader of the news, really. And kind of sometimes I wish I wasn't now, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> you know, very rare that, you know, the, you knowing about the uh, what's happening in the wider world, you know, selfishly, I have to be blunt. 
naivety and ignorance is bliss. You know, if you don't know about these things, if they don't affect you, then a lot of the time it's better not to know. You know, it, it doesn't is, really add yeah. to your life to know the ills of society and things that are happening thousands and thousands of miles away. I mean, it feels like there's a duty to do it, but, you know, selfishly, does it really add to your life that much? No, probably not. So I never really used to follow news. I used to follow the football news and the local news, and that was about it. You know, the goings on in the wider world, you know, were... I was, uh, you know, blissfully ignorant to them. So, you know, high-profile cases like Victoria Klimbe, I'd never really heard of. But the first time I really became aware of social workers was um, due to the case of Peter Connolly, who many listeners may know as Baby P. And that was real mainstream news. And off the back of that, the government had a, a sort of advertising campaign to attract people into social work. And I remember seeing this advert for social workers and I was thinking, hey, that could be me. You know, I was in my mid-20s at the time. I think that was, yeah, 2008, 2000, uh, 2007, 2008. So and I was in my mid-20s and I thought, yeah, maybe this is what I've been looking for. You know, like you, I'd kind of been given some consideration to, you know, what did I want to spend my life doing? How did I want to kind of... um lived my life and, you know, what what sort of legacy did I almost, or almost want to leave? And, um, yeah, uh, you know, this these, this campaign came out in 2007, 2008. Yeah, Peter Connolly died, well, was killed in August 2007. So, yeah, I think it was it was by the 2008. Yeah, it was 08, 09 that I started my training. So it was, um, yeah, it was the year after that. There was, there was a government campaign regarding getting people more into the profession. So I'd looked into it and I thought, you know, what's what's social work? And I looked into it and I did a bit of research and I thought, yeah, that's maybe for me. You know, in my, my life at the time there, I was, uh, you know, I was working in nightclubs and bars. And I was happy in my life. I wasn't unhappy, but I would kind of wake up in the morning sometimes, maybe once or twice a month, I would wake up and I would just kind of feel a, a strange sense of being a bit, bored and restless and directionless. You know, my life was quite hedonistic at the time, to be perfectly honest. I worked and I played and that was really about it, to be perfectly honest. My life wasn't much deeper than that. I was self-centered, not necessarily in a bad way, but self-centered in just seeking the pursuit of pleasure and enjoying my relative youth at the time. And yeah, I, I came across social work and I thought, yeah, maybe that's it for me. But because I was working full time, I couldn't immediately go into a social work degree. Obviously, as you know, you know you've certainly got to go and start doing one hundred day placements. So I had to go a roundabout route. I did a foundation degree, and then that was two years, and then I did a top up degree, which I got my child and family studies BSc, and then I went on to do the masters in social work. And by the time I was on to the masters. I'd moved cities and I'd sort of changed my life and I'd had a kind of three years to sort of get up to speed and, you know, fit my work life around my career. But yeah, I, I really didn't know what a, a social worker was until I was until I was 23. 23 years old. You'd been a social worker two years by the time I even knew what one was. Uh, <laughs> I'd been blissfully ignorant. You know, I didn't have any social care involvement in my life. None of my friends did. None of my family did. I don't get me wrong, I had a difficult life and I've, I've spoken about this many a time. You know, I grew up in conditions that are, are worse than ones that I've been involved in removed children from the family home for suffering worse neglect than objectively I did. But 
nobody reported it and I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. That was just life. That was just what life was like for me growing up. You know, I didn't know any different and I wasn't unhappy with it because I didn't have anything better to compare it to. But I thought social works for me. Um, it sounded like a good career. And I looked into it and I thought, yes, this is my chance to do something decent, commit my work and life to the betterment of others. And I should be able to tell people that I am something. It was a bit of a sense of shame for me when I was in my 20s. You know, people would ask me what I did. And I would say, oh, well, I work here. It wasn't, I am this. It wasn't, you know, I am this, I am that. I am a coal man. I am a chicken farmer. I've listed off various different jobs that I've done. And I am a builder. I uh, managed the bar of a lap dancing club, which was a job that I've done in the past. I worked at a hotel. I had an eclectic, an eclectic bunch of jobs. In fact, I was talking to one of my friends about this earlier today, and he says that nobody has ever probably had my collection of jobs before. He reckons that there's nobody in the world that's been um, a builder and worked in a chicken factory and been a coal merchant and worked uh, managing the bar for lap dancing club and been a social worker. He claims I'm the only person in the existence in earth who's ever had those five jobs. What do you think, Tilly? I, I think he has a point. I'm assuming <laughs> that's Jason. Um, yeah, is, Jason, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I, I, <laughs> I cannot imagine that anyone has. Um, listeners, yeah. if you can prove us wrong, I will be flabbergasted <laughs> <laughs> i have had an unusual career i have an unusual unusual progression into social work i think that's the first time i ever mentioned on the podcast that i used to manage the bar of a lap dancing club but there yeah, you go listeners you've mentioned, you've mentioned nightclubs about. but i don't think you'd have ever explained so. the uh, the lap dancing part well, this was many this was many years before i even qualified as a social worker that was i have had a a storied life behind me but before we go any too further into vince's past let's uh let's keep that pandora's box closed let's get back to asking you questions tilly um <laughs> obviously as social workers and i wrote about this in my article as social workers we have hard skills that we learn but we also have soft skills that we don't perhaps don't learn but have and then nurture and grow what traits did you have as a child as a teen as a young adult that meant that you'd be fit for social work, that, that sort of showed you'd be a good fit for social workers. What did you bring with you into this profession, essentially? Well, I think I, I mentioned on the podcast last week that I've always had that head for social justice. I've always wanted to improve the world that's around me. I wanted to change the world. Um, I think from a very, very young age, that's been ingrained into me. Well, no, it hasn't. It, it's just part of me. I don't think that's been taught to me by anyone. I mean, I, I've got a, a good set of values, certainly from my family and from my education and the, the society around me. But I think that's always been part of who I am. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm always normally one of the friends in the friend group who people look to to help them with their problems um often i get people disclosing a lot to me i think that's just i think uh, that's quite a common trait for social workers actually that um yeah. you never quite know what someone's going to share with you um and i think just that that empathy with others and be able to put yourself into the position of someone else and think right th this is what i imagine that they're probably feeling and this is what I could do to help them. So I think that's that's probably traits that I've had 
all my life. Um, I think there are things that you can't be taught. Um, you can't be taught to care, as you mentioned in your article. You can't be taught to be an advocate for social justice. These things, you either have them or you don't. They impact on some people and just pass other people by. So I think that's a really common trait within social work. Did those traits grow and did you nurture them? Did they get stronger and, and better, if that's the right word, during your career? Yeah, I mean... I think the more you learn about society and the world around you, the more invested you get into it. Mm. Um, before I came into social work, I suppose I, I, I wasn't exposed to many of society's ills. Um, I mean, I didn't have a, a rosy time, but I, I certainly hadn't come across some of the situations that I've faced as a social yes. worker. Yeah. Um, and I think the more you learn about that, the more you want to do to try and make sure that no one has to experience that situation, that, that abuse, yeah. that neglect, that poverty. That's that's just harrowing. And I think that, that unless you've come from that sort of life yourself um, within your childhood or, or early adulthood, you might not necessarily know that it even exists. So when you, you yes. are naturally going to get more skills in developing empathy and, and wanting to do something about that as you learn more about it. That's a very fair point. Um, when I was a, a younger man, um, my friends would always come to me for advice. They would. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, if I gave such good advice, my own life wouldn't have been in such a chaotic state. <laughs> You can give it, but you can't take it. <laughs> well, and I'm, and I'm still doing the same thing 30 years later, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Some things never change. No, 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 no. I make light of the fact, you know, but as you know myself, Tilly, my life is very orderly, even when things go wrong. And you know, I usually take a pragmatic approach to things, and it's never really usually that bad. Um, the problems in my life I make myself, to be perfectly honest. That's fine. Look at me. It's, you know, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, I was always someone who um, who my friends would go to for advice. I was always someone who was able to kind of give good counsel, to be honest. I was I was always able to kind of mediate well. I was, when there were difficulties with friends, I was generally able to always mediate well and I could give good advice. And I was somebody that people often felt a lot of faith and trust in. And I was always a good communicator as well. I was always confident with public speaking and confident in difficult positions. And I was, I'd rarely flap under pressure. I've always had a, a great ability to kind of be confident in myself and not be, not be perturbed or put out by high pressured situations. So I think those skills kind of marked me out as a, as a good social worker in terms of those skills in myself and that trust that people had in me. And like you, I've, I've kind of found that I've been able to take that into a profession as well. I've always been someone that's been able to kind of en entertain and empathize and relate to other people as well. Never had a problem sort of making friends or speaking to people that I've met for the first time. And that ability to break down barriers with people that you meet for the first time is incredibly useful in social work, even more so in the two and a half years since I've been doing independent social work, because as you know yourself, doing independent social work, Tilly, you already get a finite window to work with the families that you support and the clients you're assessing. I only get 40 hours 
I only get a week if you put it end to end in terms of days. And within that, I'll maybe get 16 hours contact time with the people I'm assessing. You have to rapidly get up to speed and try and show that you're a trustworthy person. And I do that just through congruence and empathy, basic skills. Now, yes, I've worked on those. I've done a counselling diploma. I've spent 11 years working on that throughout my social work career. But you have to be a decent person underneath and you have to genuinely show a keen interest in people. And I've always done that. And I think that's really helped me quite well. Yeah, I think that's that certainly shines through from what I know of you as um, outside of the podcast. I think that's that is those are traits that you have in your personal life just as much as you do in your professional life. It's good of you to say, my friend. Now, do you think you were destined to be a social worker? When you look back at your career now and your childhood and life before it, do you think fate had a guiding hand in this and you were always destined to do what you're doing right now? Was your life always going to lead you to me on this podcast right now? See, I'm a great believer in fate. Um, I think we all, we we have choices that we can make and our paths aren't predetermined, but I think we always end up where we're supposed to be. Um, mm. So yes, I do. I, I think that I was always going to be a social worker. i I could have had choices within that. Um, I could have gone and done something else first or come at social work from a different angle. But I think I feel like I am where I'm supposed to be. Um, and I don't know where I'll end up. I, I've always said I want to stay as a social worker or connected to social work in some way. Um, but who knows that my destiny will be determined by the fates and powers that be. And I will be just grateful for whatever opportunities come my way and you do do you feel a sense of gratitude then you said you'll be grateful for the opportunities that come your way do you do you have a sense of gratitude that you are a social worker do you feel lucky that you are where you are right now oh hugely hugely um I mean it's a privilege to work as a social worker it's a privilege to um get to to hear people's stories and, and work with the most incredible people um I, I I do feel a sense of gratitude. I mean, I am very privileged in many aspects of my life. Um, I've I've had a, a good education. Um, I've had the ways and means to be able to go on and get a further education, a, a degree, and go on to be a social worker. Um, that that comes from privilege, and I'm I'm always grateful for that. And I don't ever want to take that for granted because. Well, you know yourself, Vince, some of the people that we work with don't have those opportunities and their lives take very different turns because of the circumstances that they're in. And Mm. they're for for the grace of whatever higher power you think of could, could be any of us. That's not the same. That's not the same, Terry. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the same. The same isn't. The saying isn't there, but for the grace of the higher power, go any of us. The saying is there for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go I. We don't have to. We don't have to bastardize the saying, Tilly, do we? For the sake of political correctness, is that is that where we're yeah, but- at right now? Is that really where we're at? <laughs> but I don't believe in God. We've had this discussion before. You can, you can um, still use the saying. You okay, still- fine. I'll, I'll say the I, saying. I bet you still say, "Oh my God." Yeah, yeah. There I we do. go. Yeah, okay, go. fine. So it fine. works both ways. You see, right. you say, oh my, you say, oh my God, or oh God, but you don't believe in the Lord. 
doesn't mean you have to go yeah. there, there, but for the grace of whatever higher power you happen to believe in, there go I. I mean, wow, what a mouthful, Tilly. Come on. Okay, all Come right, on. okay. There for the grace of God go I. I've been told. All right, move on, move on. <laughs> you have been told. You have been told, Tilly. Um, I think I was destined to be a social worker. I genuinely do. And the reason why I think this is... I am not sure what else I could have done. I tried various different jobs. You just talked about my convoluted and unusual job history. I tried a lot of different things in my in my early life. And I never really trained. I said, well, when I first went to university, I was trained to be an English teacher. When I started university in, in my teenage years, first time around, I was going to be a teacher of English. But that was a very poorly thought out decision. I liked reading and I thought I would like a job that involved reading and writing. I thought, oh, I'll be an English teacher. That was a hastily thought of decision and surprise, surprise, it didn't work out for me. I wasn't wasn't mature enough. I mean, you were mature enough at 18 to choose your future career. I wasn't, Tilly. I wasn't. I don't say this flippantly. I genuinely do not say this flippantly, but I was closer to needing a social worker at 18 than being one. Massively so. Massively so. And I, and I don't say that flippantly, and that isn't a trite saying. That is true. I, I could genuinely have done with, and I would have greatly benefited from some form of professional intervention when I was in my teenage years, massively. You know, the way I was living my life, the things I was exposed to, the the care I afforded was afforded, the neglect I was growing up in, my self-sabotaging behaviours, the things I was on the fringes of and involved and I really, really would have benefited from professional intervention. I'm not sure it would have made me as good a social worker, though, I have to be honest, because this is a question I haven't put in my prep sheet, Tilly. I'm going off script here. Um, But do you think that you almost have to have gone through the fire and have suffered pain to really make it as a social worker? Or was that bad of me to suggest? No, I don't think you do. I think you can have empathy and not have experienced hardship. Um, Because, I mean, everyone in life experiences some form of hardship. Life isn't smooth sailing, no matter who you are or where you come from. And I think, you, yes, there are benefits to having overcome a huge amount of, of, of issues in your own personal life. But equally, there, there's issues that you can still empathize with other people. We, we, we don't, as social workers, have to have experienced every single thing that our clients go through to understand what they're feeling or to, to have empathy. So I don't see that you necessarily, it, social workers need to have, have experienced that themselves. Um, okay. I know. But look, without going into detail, has the hardship in your past you have experienced made you a better social worker? Yes, yes, it there has. There we go. Yeah. So not for everyone, but yes for you. Yeah, well, I don't... The thing is, I don't want to exclude any social workers if they haven't experienced that and say that you can't be a good social worker. Oh, yeah, okay, so we'll not do that then. We'll, we'll not do that then. We'll just... We'll just... We'll, we'll keep this safe by doing it for ourselves. Has it but made I, you a better social worker? But I, I know social workers out there that have, well, I mean, I, you can never tell what someone's gone through in their personal lives. But I, I've heard people say as social workers, I haven't gone through any hardship, but that I've known them to be incredible social workers. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it necessarily follows that you have to have experienced But for that. some people, including but yourself, it people. does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's yeah. fair to say. We've discussed a similar thing regarding ages before. You know, it's quite often said that, well, well, the main one in my field of social work is how can you tell me how to look after my kids when you haven't got any of your own? Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that's the main one in, in my field. And look, I get why people would ask that. It is very, very difficult to have someone potentially half your age who doesn't have children trying to, let's be blunt, criticise your parent, and it's very, very difficult. But equally, Tilly, I'm not a farmer, but if I see a cow stuck up a tree, I know something's wrong. (laughs) I love that saying. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, it is true. It's true. And I know that's a very flippant and trite way of saying it, but... That that is a very you know basic metaphor for for that, and but it can be difficult because I've known I have known many young social workers who've been incredibly intimidated by that, and it is an it it is intimidating because you feel yeah well oh, my back. I, 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 I used to face that yeah. I was a social worker before I became a dad yeah I I experienced that when I worked in children's services I was a twenty one year old child basically mm. that was telling people how to to live their lives and. Yet having not had children of my own and seen very little of the world. I think I'm a better social worker for what I've gone through in my past. I genuinely do. And through sensitive use of self and through sensitive and appropriate sharing, it does enable me to bridge gaps with people. Um, I found it particularly with... um, particularly with young men and teenage boys that I've been working with to be able to say, well, look, I grew up in this situation. I've had friends that went to prison. I've had friends that have died by suicide. I've had friends that have had significant issues with drugs. I've had friends that have been in and around criminality. I grew up on a council estate. I grew up in a single parent family. And it's almost using yourself as a good example. I found that was particularly, I used to, you know, that was a good example I used a lot before was a social work when I was in youth work and when I was working for Bernardo's as a young father's work, when I worked in the career service or the jobs that I did before social work. Yeah, I think, look, again, like you, I'm not going to, certainly I don't think you have to be a wounded healer to support people. And I'm, I'm not saying it makes everyone a better social worker, but I would not be the man and I would not be the social worker I am had I not gone through significant pain and hardship in my younger years. I just have to be honest, Terry, that's the truth. That's the truth of my lived experience. It really is. Yeah. And we're always a product of our experiences, aren't we? Mm-hmm. That it is what shapes who we are. So whatever you've gone through, whether that be really horrendous experiences or most positive experiences that still shapes who we are exactly tilly there but for the grace of whatever higher power or entity <laughs> all right, or all right. greater being you believe in oh me. i'm never gonna live that down am i <laughs> no, not when you deal with a pe- not, no. not when you deal with a, a man who has a unusual mixture of pettiness and stubbornness like me <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on this one. And no no more there, but for the graces. Okay, promise you that one. Scouts on this it. This time, this episode. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's end on this one. Can you teach people the soft skills that we need to be good social workers? Or are you simply born with these as we believe that we both were? Mm, see, I think you've got to have an innate sense of... Things like good communication skills, caring, empathy. Um, there's there's always things that you can teach and hone, but you can't teach someone how to care and you can't teach how someone to, to empathise with another person um, or just 
relate to people or be human that is a really hard skill to teach I am yet to see positive examples of, of when that's happened I mean I might be wrong there might be people out there that that can say yes I taught this per- this other social worker to do this or yes I helped this student develop those skills they really didn't have it before but now they do um I haven't seen it I think you you kind of have to have a certain amount within you and I'm hoping that that's the rigorous entry criteria for the social work degree I mean they're supposed to to look into this when we're recruiting social work students because you've got to have those fundamental levels to begin with but you can work on them of course of course yeah we're never the finished how do you work on them how do you train someone to be empathetic I don't know if you can train anyone to be empathetic, but certainly communication skills and styles, I think the best way to learn is to watch as many different social workers do it as possible. Mm. And shadowing is the most valuable way to learn. I know that there's loads of techniques that I've got in my toolkit that I've pinched shamelessly from other people (laughs) (laughs) and i've been like i really like the way how you phrase that or or you approach that situation i'm gonna take that for myself and that is the best way to learn i always used to say that to students that were in my team i always used to say go out with every single person on this team don't just go out with somebody that you're mates with don't even go out the person you think you're the best go out with every single person because it is just as useful to learn the kind of social worker you don't want to be as the one you do want to be. And it's also, yes, like you say, yeah. useful to be a bit like Frankenstein's monster and pick up little bits from here and there. Because you may think that some of the skills are brilliant, but they might just not work for you. You know, Some social work skills and applications of practice suit other people better than others. If you're quite a, a regimented and fastidious person who's quite anal in their approach to social work, then it's going to be difficult to go in and try and be a bit more casual and be a bit more relaxed and kind of be someone's mate. I mean, you shouldn't really be doing that in social work, but you know what I'm saying, like to kind of be like a friendly social worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you can be all kinds of different social worker you can be the kind of social worker who goes out there and yeah you maybe are a bit more procedural you're friendly and you're professional but that's kind of your thing you'll write very good reports you'll be very fair you'll be very practical equally we all know social workers who are the opposite of that they never take notes the case notes are always late they're always flying by the seat of the pants but that's how they do it and mm-hmm. every you, you've got to you've got to mix a little bit of yourself with everything in social work. You know, there's no one size fits all approach to social work because all of our cases are different because all of the people we deal with are different. And in fact, if you go and try and apply a regimented approach to social work to every single facet of practice and to every single client, you're going to get it wrong, aren't you, Tilly? It's not going to work. Of course. Yeah. Everything you said there just makes complete sense. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about the different types of social workers that I've come across. Mm -hmm. I mean, now, recently and in the past, I mean, it is amazing that we get to show those levels of humanity within us and we all bring something unique and different. And there's going to be situations that we're better at than others. That's why as a, as a manager, I know that there's some cases that I'll give to one social worker and some cases that I'll give to another just because their approaches are different and sometimes that's what's needed. Exactly. I, I think you can work on some of those soft skills. I really do. I, I think that you, you can 
I mean, not teach people them, but you can nurture them and you can bring them out. I, I think it's a baseline. All human beings have got good in them. And I think if you've got someone who wants to be a social worker, well, that shows they've got a pretty good, you know, foundation of good qualities there because they're not on it for the money or fame. Let me tell you that one for nothing. <laughs> I think you can. I, I think it's almost like a little fire. As long as you've got a spark, as long as you've got some tinder there, you've got a bit of kindling, I think you can. You can blow on that flame and you can cup your hands around it and you can nurture that. Sometimes it might take a lot of work. And I think our current system doesn't necessarily lend itself to that because let's be blunt, let's look at the university system. It's 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 not really about your qualities as a person. It's about can you write in a certain way? You know, our university system is is what it's observations of practice, which is essentially ticking off boxes in terms of, you know, the the professional capabilities framework and you doing your portfolio work here in the UK. And then your university education, well, what's that based on? It's based on exams and it's based on assignments. It's not based on, you know, right, let's do some, you know, emotional intelligence work. It isn't. It, it really isn't. And I think perhaps our current system doesn't necessarily lend itself to developing those soft skills. Very good at the hard skills. Very good at, you know, do you know the rules? Do you know the regulations? Can you regurgitate the law? Can you read these 15 books and regurgitate it back to me in your own words? Does that really make you a good social worker? I'm not so sure, Tilly. I'm not so sure that being able to write a wonderful assignment really makes you a good social worker. I really no, not. no, definitely not. And and that's where you see the huge difference between um, university education and practice. You throw out your newly qualified social workers, and suddenly they sink or swim because they've not been prepared for the actual job that they have signed up for. And I, I, <laughs> I might get in trouble for saying this. That's why I'm kind of pausing a bit, but I've got to say it. I've got to take a risk. Come on, do it, do it, do it. I have seen more brilliant social workers who struggled academically than I have seen brilliant social workers who were brilliant academically. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes the social workers who were incredibly academic and incredibly good at the written side of things do struggle to have a personal touch and to have that kind of ability to empathise and get what people who come from very different backgrounds to them and have very different educational achievements to them, I think sometimes there can be a barrier if you are very, not all the time, but if you are very academically gifted, very driven, that sometimes that mindset can be picked up and perceived by the clients we support, and it can sometimes drive a bit of a barrier. Am I going to get in trouble for saying that, or, or do you see where I'm coming from? No, I see where you're coming from. It depends on the person, doesn't it? It does. It does. Because actually you can have someone that's done amazingly well academically and being a brilliant social worker too. It's it's individual differences right at its core. I'm going to double down. I am going to double down now. <laughs> Go on. And, and I love this. I'm still going to say it. I'm still going to keep digging. I'm still going to say that I have seen more distance between social workers and clients from social workers who have come, who've been excellent at the academic, not always, but excellent, excellent at the academic, very driven in theory and know everything because theory 
and frameworks and knowing everything off by heart and being a, a first-class student in the classroom sometimes can not always translate to being an effective social worker with good soft skills, and it can sometimes create a barrier with the clients we serve. I haven't seen it all the time, but I do. I have seen that some of the time. And watch as Vince gets cancelled. Well, well, well cancelled, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm no, going to be cancelled for that. What? So to, no, today's cancellation is going to be because I dared pull you up on the saying there, but for the grace of God, go I. And I've happened to suggest that, you know, over academization of our social work students potentially creates a barrier between us and the people we serve. <laughs> oh, well, stone the cause. I'm going to be cancelled for that, Tilly. Then the game's up. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm, I'm, I don't disagree at all. So, um, maybe I'll get cancelled too. I don't think so, Tilly. I don't think no, we're getting cancelled. Dead Hopefully getting cancelled for asking us to stick to traditional sayings that to make sense to people and for you know daring to suggest that this could potentially happen. We're sharing our views, Tilly. I think we're safe. Yeah. I think we're not going to be cancelled for a week at least. Well, it can't be because we're off next week because I'm in Berlin. <laughs> I think we've both said worse on the podcast as well before. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're safe. Hopefully. Yeah. I like you put hopefully on there. Well, yeah, 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 there's going to be a petition. Well, I don't like to be 100% certain because life's not not certain in any shape or form. So. Well, there's um, another skill. There's another skill that Tilly's got listeners that makes her a good social worker. She's paranoid. On that note... <laughs> On that note, thank you ever so much, listeners, for risk averse. Thank you ever so much, listeners, for tuning in. As always, do check out our stories over at mysocialworknews.com. You can follow me and Tilly over on Twitter, LinkedIn. You can follow Social Work News or Social Work World on Facebook and Instagram too. Please do consider leaving a review over on iTunes. We will read that out in on our next show. I'll be in Berlin, so we'll be back in two weeks' time. And until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Mm-hmm.